Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. We're going to start a new series this morning that we're going to get into for the next uh, few Sundays. Uh, on this theme of being sanctified and finding God's plan for our fulfillment uh, in our lives. Um, And that involves a whole lot of life change. How many of you know that God is a little bit different than us? And and sometimes there are things that uh, we don't have figured out that he has figured out. And uh, one one, uh, friend and mentor of mine likes to say, God's smart and he knows stuff we don't. It's basic theology right there. Uh, It's pretty simple. Um, But before we get into this topic, I want to frame this series, Sanctification, that we're going to talk about. Um, And uh, this is a little bit personal, but I I felt like this was actually a helpful way to to frame um, the series that we're getting into and why this is so important. Um, Jillian, myself, Megan Tyler as well, uh, our kidsmen director is here today. Um, we lost kind of a, a pretty significant mentor uh, this past week on Monday. He, he died suddenly. His name was Martin Sanders. And uh, some of you may have seen the, the post that I, I put online last week after I found out he, he died. But if, if there was a, a person in the Christian faith or in the kingdom of God that I personally knew that that believed in life change, it would be Martin. Uh, and, and was probably the most intentional person I'd ever, I've ever known when it comes to wanting to see life change in other people's lives. Like genuine life change, not just can you be a better Christian, please? Just genuinely changed by the life of God at work in us. And... Um, so it's been really a really, really difficult week. Martin was always incredibly intentional with his words. And you knew if he was saying something to you or asking you a question or left you with a blessing or a word of affirmation, there was a lot of intentionality. And So I've been thinking a lot this week. Jillian's been thinking a lot this week. Others that that knew Martin have been thinking a lot this week about the last things he said to them. And man, they were always, I don't think anyone has said it was a really like dumb statement. It was always so intentional. Even if it was the big one that's been popping up on social media is one more hug. He would say that a lot. We, We think about, especially those that have, poured into us, have meant a lot to us, whether it's a a spiritual influence, a a, a teacher, some kind of figure like that, we think a lot about maybe the last thing that people say to us before we don't see them again, whether it's because of death or because they've moved away or or something like that. And and that, that frame, I know that's a little bit heavy and maybe a little more information than you wanted this morning, but... I think that frame and that. Are we having a lot of problems with this, or are we okay? All right. I'm just going to do what Chris tells me to do. 
That, that way of, of thinking about this is, um, is, is kind of helpful for us as we get into this idea of sanctification, about life change. Uh, Paul, who wrote this, this letter to this church in Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece, Paul was, a, in a sense, a mentor to many of the first churches in the Mediterranean world. And Paul was always very intentional with the words that he would say and the words that he would leave people with, like Martin was. And here we have at the end of his first letter to this church in Thessalonica, some very, very, very intentional words. Because he knew that in case he didn't get to write Second Thessalonians, it was only called Second Thessalonians once there was two of them, by the way, you know. Um because he didn't know if he was going to get a chance to speak to them again or write to them again, he needed to make sure that the words counted. And of all the things he could possibly say to this church, he chose these words. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Man, if you're going to leave someone with some closing words, maybe they should be those. There's this church in, in Thessalonica, and they were having some really hard times. They were being persecuted. Many of the church had been killed. They were kind of doubting if Jesus was going to come back for them. What if Jesus had forgotten them? They were starting to question their faithfulness. They were struggling with sexual purity. There were some very particular issues to this group where they were like, like, we, we don't know, we, we're not sure, A, if we should continue to be faithful to Jesus, because I think he might have bailed on us with how bad things are going. And then there was also some questions of, of struggle. Like, this is hard. Being, giving our allegiance to Jesus is hard. They're trying to kill us. They don't like us here. And so Paul addresses all this in this letter and leaves them with these closing words that the God of peace would make them holy. The, 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 most translations would say that the God of peace would sanctify you that he would sanctify you through and through. Make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. For Paul, this blessing is the, that, that God would completely make them holy, sanctify them. This was the culmination of everything that a faithful life to Jesus was about, that God would do a deeply transformational work in them. And that they would live the life of fulfillment that God had always wanted for them. This is really what sanctification is about. Sanctification comes from the, the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. Uh, and, and holy is a description first and foremost about God, who God is. God is holy. God is other. And so when we've got this, this blessing from a great mentor saying, may God make you holy sanctify. May he sanctify you. What exactly are we talking about? Because it, it can sound like, oh, I, I'm going to be holy. Some of us might think that's a little bit smug. 
might think that's a little bit pretentious. Oh, you think you're better than everyone else? You're going to be holier than thou? That's kind of how it gets used in our context, and it sort of means someone's being very condescending, and, and they're not particularly nice to be around. But when the scriptures describe God's holiness or us becoming holy, that's not what they're describing. They're not talking about moral superiority. They're not talking about being a better Christian, making sure you check the rules off right. It is a state of being that is completely associated with just who God is. It's completely pure, completely right, completely good, completely just, completely loving. It's everything God is. And God, this is what's crazy, as much as that is something that is totally just associated with God, over and over again in the scriptures, God is inviting us to be holy like him. In that sense of the word. God wants us to be sanctified, to use the theological word, more and more and more. God actually wants us to be sanctified more than we do on our best day. I love what uh, Nijay Gupta says. He says, the divine will is set upon guiding believers toward completeness and maturity in holiness. The Apostle Paul would have described this as fullness in Christ. How, how many of you could describe your life as, man, I am just full of completeness right now. I just feel so complete in my life. Man, I am just so mature all the time. I make great decisions. I always respond to people out of love. I don't snap at anyone ever. I don't know why you guys are laughing. Do you feel the gaps in your life when you think about that for a second? There's maybe some completeness that's missing, some maturity, some fullness. Instead of completeness, instead, do you feel lack? sometimes or often? Instead of fullness, do you feel depleted and exhausted and weary? Instead of maturity, do you often find yourself feeling immature or unwise or even insecure? How do you feel about these kinds of things in your relationship with God and with others and with yourself? Let's do a quick diagnosis of yourself just to see if you find these gaps in some places. How about this? Are you playing the comparison game with other people? You can just answer in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. Are you chasing down people or material possessions to try and soothe or medicate your anxiousness or to feel important? Are you weary? Are you in a cycle of habitual sin that you can't seem to break out of? How about this one? Seems a little bit irrelevant, but how well do you receive compliments? Are you too prideful and arrogant to receive that you did a good job from someone? Are you hypercritical of others and yourself? You feel any gaps? If you answered yes to any of those, it's a good indicator that there are gaps in your maturity and your completeness and your fullness. And this is why we need sanctification. This is why we need to come into the fullness, the completeness, the maturity that God wants to work in us through his life change. 
So this is what we're here to talk about for these next few weeks. Holiness, this process of sanctification is not about becoming smug and annoying to the people around you. It is about becoming more like the good, loving, perfect, just God that made this universe. And it's really good news to know that he wants you to become like this more than we do. He's in your corner. He's on your side. So, if we're going to understand sanctification, we've got to deal with this uh, line by line. So over the next few weeks, we're going to just be digging through this one little closing blessing of this great mentor, Paul. And we're going to start this morning with just this one line, now may the God of peace, the one who sanctifies you. If we're going to understand how we become sanctified, how we become holy, we need to understand and know who the God is of this sanctification. So this morning, what I want to do is spend a few minutes unpacking who the God of our sanctification is. So let's pray as we begin. Lord, you have been present here with us this morning already in the worship, in the prayer, in the offering, in blessing the children. I just pray that uh, we would continue to be attentive to you as we preach and teach and meditate on the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that this morning we would walk away with more of a sense of who you are and how deeply you desire to sanctify us through and through. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, There's a well-known video clip of Stephen Fry. He's a British comedian. Uh, He was on an Irish television program a number of years ago, and this program was like a, a faith matters kind of thing, and they would ask various celebrities about what they thought about faith, and they would ask the question, what if it's all true? What would you do then? What would, you, what would you do with that? And they'd get all sorts of interesting answers. Stephen Fry has always been, as well as a comedian, a very outspoken atheist. Uh, and, and he had a very fascinating and incredibly raw and honest answer on this TV program to that question. What if it's all true and God is real? I want you to watch this clip. Suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations, suppose it's all true, Mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as the Odyssey, I think, I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were they didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac. 
utter maniac. Totally selfish. Totally. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing, there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. That sure is the longest answer to that question. <laughs> What a clip, huh? Have any of you seen that before? Any of you? A couple of you? Yeah? What surprised you about that? His anger? What else? What surprised you about that? His con- he's very, yeah, he really believes it. He's very convicted about it. Absolutely. Negativity? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Because he says they, they weren't at, pretending to act like they were that great. They just did what they wanted. How suffering entered the world, how evil entered the world, right? Yeah. What else surprises you? Interesting. Yeah. No surprised by anything? Anyone surprised by their personal reaction? Right. And he's... And he said he doesn't really care. He wouldn't want to. That was the part that stuck out to me, really. Like, I wouldn't want to get in. Wouldn't want to. You know what surprised me the most watching this was he said it, but a lot of times we think it. Everyone's like, oh. Let's let's not let's not let, let, let me just be honest for a minute. Like take take the like the religious filter off that we've got to give the right Christian answer. Think about it for a minute. How often do you find yourself in a situation going, "Why God? Why would you let this happen to me? How dare you? Why would you expect these people to do that or not expect these people to do that? Why would you put this strict rule on them here and, and not on these people here? Why, why would you make such a miserable set of things for people to follow? Why would you let this kind of, of thing happen in the world? Are you just some kind of cosmic killjoy? You know what I'm saying? Like, as much as, as we go, oh, man, Stephen Fry really kind of missed it there. I, there's something in us that goes there whenever something goes wrong, right? And, and God 
I love that part. He wants us to spend our life on our knees thanking him for what? And, and there's two things to consider here. If we have this idea in our heads, Trudy, you said it like, he's angry at the God he doesn't believe exists, he seems. Sometimes when we start to get angry at God, we don't realize how those beliefs can shape our practices. It can shape how much we want to associate with God. We might be like, I'm really angry at you. I'm not praying today. I'm going to, why don't we wait until after? Um, why, why don't we do that? You know, God, how dare you? I, I think I'm going to kind of go after this problem or situation on my own terms. Thank you very much. We think of God sometimes as this messed up dude who won't explain why the bad things happened. How dare you? A.W. Tozer has a quote. He says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I, I think this is really important in light of this because if we have in our mind a vision of God that he is kind of malicious and, and is just really strict and miserable and holiness has something to do with just making our life kind of smug and, and dull and, and boring. I have a lot of Peppa Pig in my house, so I just hear Peppa Pig saying, that's boring all the time. Uh, if that's what we have in our mind when we think of our God, when we think about God, according to Tozer, like we've got to take that really seriously. That's the most important thing about you because it'll begin to shape how you are willing or not willing to relate to God. So if we think, man, God wants me to be like him, he's just, this, this guy's awful. Like he's just, what kind of person would just be so vengeful to, to, to need blood in order to satisfy uh, forgiveness of sins and all of that. And people, there's, this is a very nuanced conversation we don't have time to get into, but people, you hear these, like, people are like, how dare this guy? What is this God about? So if God is like that, I kind of get where Stephen Fry's coming from. And if I've got that idea in my mind, whether I will say that's correct doctrine or not, if I've got that idea in my mind or I get angry about God or I get disappointed or I'm, I'm bitter over the suffering, just like this church in Thessalonica was facing, if I get that entrenched in my thinking about God, it's going to get entrenched in my behavior with God. And so I'm going to stand farther and farther away. But, but if God is actually what's going right with the world, if God is actually the source of all that is good, I love how he quickly glossed over. Yes, there are beautiful things in the world, but there's also, he didn't account for that at all. If God is actually the one who set goodness in creation itself and had this vision of a beautiful world, then perhaps drawing near to God is exactly what is needed in order to redeem the mess. And so I'd like to suggest that we think about God this way this morning. So I just want to do three things briefly here. Who is God? Talk about who he is really. Uh, briefly talk about haha, his character and his nature. 
as briefly as we can. And then just finally, why does that matter to us in light of this conversation about sanctification? Because we need to have a right, like Tozer said, we need to have a good idea about God, who God is in our heads if we're going to want to draw near to him and become holy, become like him. So when someone says, I believe in God, what do they really mean? God is kind of an accepted idea in our culture. Someone will say, yeah, I believe in God. And they may have a vague idea of maybe like a Judeo-Christian God or some kind of ultimate power or higher power or something like that. But, But when we describe God and when we speak about who God is as Christians, we are speaking in a way that has been, uh, described in a very specific way for over 2,000 years. And it is a way of describing the God that we encounter in the scripture who is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we use this idea called the Trinity to describe who the Christian God is. It describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We're not going to unpack all of the mystery about that because no one has in 2,000 years. But basically, there's, there's no specific chapter or verse number where we can go to and say, God is Trinity. Here's what it is. But it's a way of reading the scriptures as a whole and getting this, sketching this outline about how we can understand who God is, is revealed in scripture and revealed through Jesus Christ. So, There's this idea that we talk about God where he is one God. We have one God, but God is also three persons. Uh, In Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And that word alone can be translated as the Lord is one. The Lord is unique. He He is singular. There is one God, but also this God has three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are unique, distinct persons, but they are, they, it's one and the same God. I know, your mind is melting on the floor. Mine is too. It doesn't totally make sense. But here's how I like to think about this, is God is unlike any of us. He is so, God's so unique in his nature, in his character. And and so there's going to be things about this where we can kind of describe it, but we can't really take the the description any further. And there's always a sense in which we want to try and over-explain this mystery of who God is. And that's what uh, creates basically heresies about God. We try and over-explain some aspect of this three-in-one relationship that is God. You'll even hear in our worship song singing about the Father or worshiping the Father, or the Son, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. All three are God. It is appropriate to worship and pray to all three because it is not three different gods. It's one God, three persons. Are you thoroughly confused now? Good, good. I'll keep going. There is a mystery to this. And John, uh, Jesus actually reveals how unique God's relationship is within God's self. In John chapter 14, this is such an amazing uh, chapter where, where Jesus reveals something about this, this Trinitarian nature of God. And I'll have like a couple things on the screen just to, to show this. I won't have them all on the screen, but just in John 14, I'm not going to read the whole passage. Jesus is talking with disciple, his disciples. It's another set of last things I want to say to you before I die. 
And, and Jesus says, uh, and begins to describe himself, describe his relationship with the Father, the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you see this really intricate, just read through John 14 sometime, this really intricate dance between, there's three separate persons here, but it's also describing the same person. And so Jesus will say things like in verse one, trust in God and trust in me. He's identifying himself as God. You can only trust in God. If you had, uh, he says, I am in the Father in verse 11. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. There's a oneness there. Ask in my name, I will do it. You can ask in Jesus' name, the Son. That's good enough. It's like asking God, he's saying, because it is God. I am in my Father in verse 20, and you are in me, and I'm in you. There's some other examples on the screen. But then also in this passage in, in chapter 14 of John, uh, Jesus describes the, the threeness, the three persons, the distinct persons in the Trinity. He describes my father's home. It's not Jesus' home, it's my father's home in verse two. No one can come to the father except through me, Jesus says in verse six. Uh, he says, my words are not my own, verse 24, they're from the father. In verse 16 and 17, he says, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, there's another person in the Trinity, he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will come and live in you. And so you see, there's this unique relationship, this Trinitarian community is how theologians describe it, where God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Are you more thoroughly confused now? Good, you're doing great, you're doing great. Let's keep going. So here, here's why this matters for what we're talking about today. I wanna just, that's who God is. Just let me briefly talk about his nature and his character as it relates to this. God has perfect community within God's self. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit relate to each other. Not three separate gods, one God, but there's three persons all relating in community to each other. It's like there's this perfect giving and receiving of mutual love, of sharing love with each other in the persons of the Trinity. God in himself does not need a friend. God has, he's not lacking anything. God is not needing anything. Because of this perfect Trinitarian community, God isn't ever lonely He's, he's not an egoist, like needing someone to boss around because God is, is wrapped up in this mutual self-giving love between Father, Son, and Spirit. God uh, doesn't need creation. He didn't, he's not, God's not wondering, like, does anyone like me? Very different than the picture Stephen Fry painted of, of this angry God who just needed to take something out on people. God is completely secure in God's self, not nervous, not anxious, not insecure. God's not fearful, not lacking anything in any way, not wondering if people like God because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share in this Trinitarian community a, a, perf a perfect completeness. And so, here, here's why I'm bringing this up and why it's relevant to us in God's nature. God did not need a universe to babysit. God did not need to create problems. God did not need to create a, a mess. God 
out of this Trinitarian community of love had so much love that we can just put it this way. God just loves to love. So you know what God does out of that love? Let's create something. Let there be light. Let there be light. Something that's so profound about this is when we begin to understand who God is, we realize God didn't need you. God wanted you. God in perfect love just wanted to create creatures that could join in the Trinitarian community of mutual self-giving love. Sounds perfect, doesn't it? This is why in Genesis, the whole creation account, God is making all these things in creation. He keeps saying, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then he makes humans and says, oh, you're very good. You're very good. And then God, here's what he does. This is crazy about what God decided to do with you, who he created, God says, I'm going to make humans, they're very good because they're going to be my representative of this Trinitarian love on this created space. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. Of course, we messed it up. But sure, we can talk after about it. God made you out of love to join in his love. God doesn't want you, or excuse me, God doesn't need you. He wants you. He definitely wants you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And this is why I love this. In that John 14 passage, Jesus sums all this up. He sums up uh, this idea of the, the threeness of God, the oneness of God, but also this desire to be near to us, to bring creation back to what it was supposed to be, to bring us back into this beautiful love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he says this in verse 23 of John 14. He says, my Father will love them we will come and make our home with each of them. This perfect, self-giving, Trinitarian love, Father, Son, and Spirit wants to come make a home in you. This is what Thomas McCall describes. As the, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit within the lives of those who belong to Christ. He says it's nothing less than the presence of God. As such, his presence is nothing other than a holy presence. Did you realize if you've decided to follow Jesus, you have been caught up and you have been invited into having a holy presence come and live in your life. Come and make you the home. Now I want to just ask you the question, have you thought about <laughs> your unholy living, your unholy thoughts, your unholy gaps, the gaps that we talked about at the beginning. And, 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 you're, and you're thinking, how is it possible that this holy presence is living in me with all these gaps? 
It's because God doesn't need you. He wants you. A.N. Williams describes this reality of an unholy person with a holy presence is this, necessarily changing the unholy. The divine nature acts like a refining fire, burnishing away the tarnish of sin and death, and everything changes for us. The God that has taken up uh, residence in you is not an egomaniac. He's not a monster. The presence, the holy presence that wants to come live in you, that if you're following Jesus has taken up residence in you, is a self-giving, holy, divine presence full of love and goodness. God does not need to do this. God does not get anything out of this. It doesn't stroke his ego. doesn't make God feel better about God's self. God wants you because his love is this reach and this rich and it's this deep and his love is this profound. And so when we talk about sanctification, we are talking about this. We are talking about being made holy by the holy presence that is residing in you already. This is why Paul, the great mentor, finishes by saying, may the God of peace make you holy. Because that God of peace is already there. God's presence is already holy. And by definition, the holy burns away the unholy if you receive it. It's not because you do anything. It's not because you tried harder. It's not because you did better reading your Bible and praying. It is simply because you received the holy presence, that burning, refining fire of God. I'll tell you a story before we go to prayer and, and communion. I was... Um, in, uh, in, in college, I was experiencing some, uh, some depression and some, uh, some hopelessness, uh, and uh, I was in a, I, I transferred from the school I was going to, I was following a call into ministry, so I'm at a, a Christian school, like, in, in studying uh, pastoral ministry, and, and I, I was just depleted, I found myself weary, I didn't like myself very much, I was, I was pretty joyless, um, I, I, I was weary and, and depressed and lethargic, hopeless, throw all the words in there, and and I remember being in a, a kind of small group gathering with some other college students one night. And, and I remember them laying hands on me to pray. This is one of my earliest encounters with the presence of God in my life. And I grew up in the church. And I didn't experience this until this moment like this. And they just put hands on me very simply. And, and one of them just kind of, it was kind of a funny way to say it. I just was like, I just feel like joyless. I'm just, I'm just miserable. And he said, God, restore to him his knee-slapping laughter. Such a strange prayer. Next thing that happened immediately, out of nowhere, I started laughing. And laughing 
and laughing and laughing and la- like I could not catch my breath. I was laughing for 30 plus minutes. I'm not even exaggerating. Laughing and laughing. And what was happening the entire time I was laughing is I just kept getting a sense of the goodness of God filling me with his presence. I had no idea what was happening. The only words I could get out every once in a while was, why is he so good? Why is he so good? This doesn't make any sense. It's what I learned later. This is what uh, people describe as holy laughter. And sometimes God shows up with holy laughter or holy tears. Sometimes it's a still, quiet voice. But I tell you, Every single encounter that people have with this divine presence, this Trinitarian love of God, it leaves them marked for eternity. Folks, you can come in here and you can be a part of the plant and you can, you know, come once in a while or even every Sunday. Honestly, you can come every Sunday, read your Bible, join a life group, and you can still never encounter this presence. What a waste of your time. Brunch is a lot better than that. But if you instead commit your life to encountering this divine, holy presence, Just keep thinking that's what Martin would want. It's a bit of a raw morning. God wants you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And there is a purifying goodness and love that he wants you to receive. I just think about the... There's a story in the book of Acts where Paul goes to to Ephesus for the first time and there's these Christians, and I say Christians for a specific reason. They're they're there, they've actually been baptized even, and they're and they're there around and 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 they're they're practicing this way of Jesus that they think is they're reading the scripture, they're voting. And and Paul asks them, like, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they go, What? We didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. We didn't know there was. We just thought we were supposed to kind of do the work here. Anyone ever walked through their Christian life feeling like, I'm just, I thought I was just supposed to do the work? But then Paul said, wait, what baptism did you receive? They said John's baptism, talking about John's baptism in water, which is the starting point. Jesus was even baptized in water. But Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. What you need is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is what John the Baptist even said himself. He's like, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming that's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Folks, if we want to see life change, if we want to see the completeness in our life, fullness in our life, if there are gaps you are, that are weighing on you, if you went through that diagnosis and you're like, yes, 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 yes. If you're just exhausted from this, it's time for a change. 
So I want to invite our worship team to come up. We're going to take a minute with a question that we're going to put up on the screen. And here's what we're going to do. Here's really the question is this. Do, Do you want this God who doesn't need you but wants you? Do you want this God to make a home in you? Um, and what we're going to do during, during this time, we're just going to leave a couple minutes for some reflection. But if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, if you've never received this presence in this way, if you've never said, yeah, I think I follow Jesus, but I don't know that I've ever really been like baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I've ever really received this divine, holy, Trinitarian presence bringing perfect love into, into my life. If, if you are saying, I need that, then here's what I want you to do. Um, would you be willing to, to stand for a minute? Just putting you on the spot. This isn't really a time for pride or arrogance or worrying about what other people are thinking of you, quite honestly. Don't waste your time. And if you need, um, if uh, Mona Trudy, would you be available to pray for people? You can stay where you're at, but if you feel like you need someone to help you pray through this, you can come up to either side here. There'll be people that can pray with you uh, during this time of reflection, during worship, during communion. Uh, but But if you're like, I need that. I need you, God. I I need to have a home made in me for the God that doesn't need me but wants me. I, I want you to not leave here today until you get what the Lord is inviting you into. So here's the question to reflect on. Do you want this God who doesn't need you but wants you to make a home in you? Reflect on that for a minute before we take communion and worship together. And if you need prayer, you can come whenever you are ready. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.